be yourself. And that's what I tried to do, you know, at the debate on Wednesday night. Um, and I don't know, I had about nine or ten minutes of time um, in the three hours. But the fact is that I think people got to see a bit of who I am. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I am a Republican in New Jersey. I wake up every morning as an outsider. People say, the run for the presidency is a marathon. And then they say, what are your poll numbers today? But it's not about me. It's about all of you. I'm David First. Today, Craig Whitlock with The Washington Post joins us to talk about cronyism, racism, and what he calls mutiny in New Jersey's National Guard. We'll talk about his reporting on what's been going on in the Guard since Christie became commander-in-chief. First, though, it's been a week since the governor's appearance in the second GOP debate. The field uh, continues to dwindle. Scott Walker stepped aside. But what has changed for Governor Christie since that appearance? We're joined by Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, and Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, David. Matt, I don't really want to talk about polling numbers. Uh, we, we, and we constantly hear the governor say that it's still too early in the campaign season for those numbers to matter. Uh, here's one quick example. Here he is on the Today Show. Come on. It's a marathon. It means that we're not going to have any kind of even inkling of what's going to happen uh, for four or five months. But did something happen with the governor over the last week or two? Is something changing? There's this uh, happy warrior that appears to be rising to the surface and that could potentially be pretty successful. You saw in the debate last week that he was uh, he was funny. He had some zingers, but not in an overly mean way. While I'm as entertained as anyone by this personal back and forth about the history of Donald and Carly's career, for the 55-year-old construction worker out in that audience tonight who doesn't have a job, who can't fund his child's education, i got to tell you the truth. They could care less about your careers. He went out afterwards and felt pretty confident about his, uh, his showing. He did nine national TV interviews. He had uh, Mika and Joe on Morning Joe laughing just like the old days in 2011 and 2012 when they thought he was you know, the greatest thing to ever happen to American politics. Talk about the, the debate and your frustrations about the fact that they were obsessed with Donald Trump. Well, I guess, Joe, I'm not frustrated at all this morning. And, and you know, with me, Joe, it's always been quality, not quantity. So, you know, I feel pretty good this morning. <laughs> For a while there, he was throwing a lot of things against the wall in terms of talking points. There was the law and order thing. I'm the law and order guy, which he's still talking about somewhat. There was the we should track visitors to this country like FedEx tracks them. But there's this new thing he got that he started talking about in the debate that he's really been harping on about. It's not about us on stage. It's about you, the middle class. And what we talk about tonight is not about us. It's about the people in the audience tonight. On all these national interviews, these uh, these interviewers seem to be responding to it. And the, the audience somewhat seems to be responding to it, at least so far. I mean, we do not want to talk about the polls, and certainly Christie doesn't want to talk about the polls because it doesn't indicate that he got much of a bump, if any, from his debate performance. However, I want to point to one poll. Christie in July, according to Monmouth University poll, he was his net favorable rating, meaning the number of the percentage of people who think he's, are favorable toward him, minus the number of people who are unfavorable toward him was minus 20%. That means like 
most people were unfavorable. It was the worst of 17 Republican candidates who were tested. There's a new CNN poll out. His net favorability is now at plus 12%. If you talk to Christie's chief political advisor, Mike Duhame, he says that's the number to watch for. If people learn to like Christie again, if he's looking out for the middle class instead of the people on stage, then they think that's a precursor to actual good real poll numbers. Tom, is Christie searching for that middle ground? Again, we, we still see glimpses of this Christie. In the debate, he he positioned himself as above the fray, above all the Republican bickering and infighting. Yeah, it's the latest incarnation. I mean, remember when he first started, he was the guy who could make the bipartisan deals, and Obama was a loser and couldn't find the light switch of leadership because he didn't know how to bring the two sides together. That was the big pitch. To me, that was his best pitch and the one that actually matched his record. Then he went on to try to veer right with gun control and abortion, that sort of thing. Then the law and order. And now I guess we're getting the champion of the middle class. And the problem with all these other incarnations is that they're somewhat fraudulent. You know, the first one was true. He did make a lot of big bipartisan deals. But Christie as a champion of the middle class is a bit farcical. I mean, this is a guy who vetoed the minimum wage, who cut a, a tax credit for the working poor, the earned income tax credit, who tried to raid an affordable housing fund of a couple hundred million dollars, who uh, canceled the ARC tunnel and school construction projects that created the kind of unemployment among construction workers that he seemed to be so concerned about. We scratched our brains about this on the editorial board. I couldn't think of anything that he's done for the middle class. The idea that you can't win votes by selling a fraudulent message uh, is a little bit naive, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter so far if his record matches his rhetoric. He wasn't even asked about his record at a three-hour-plus debate the, uh, last week. I think, though, there are stages of a campaign. I think we're at the, like, let's see them dance. It's like a beauty contest at this point. If he were ever to get traction, then a lot of things people would come back and look at. I mean, if you look at, you know, Reagan was going to build the military and cut taxes. Uh, Clinton was going to bring the Democrats to the middle through welfare reform and crackdown on crime and... He did those things. Those guys were identified with a certain philosophy. And um, Christie's all over the map. The reality is, uh, if he's asked about his record, and, and if you, know, you write a column about, let's say you write a column portraying him as a fraud, on, as a savior of the middle class, and the reality of a campaign in 2016 is that he's going to then go on Meet the Press, and Chuck Todd will have read your column, and then he asks him a question about, well, you did all of these things that seem to be anti-middle class, and he's going to say, actually, I raised the uh, tax credit for the working poor. Because as we know, uh, he cut that tax credit, meaning the working poor were paying more for the first five, six years of his uh, governorship, and then the, literally the night before he announced his candidacy in June, he restored that credit and then actually tacked on more than had existed beforehand. So he has, in the end, and this is what he will say on Meet the Press, I'm actually giving more money back to the working poor than they ever had before. So any suggestion that I'm anti-middle class is ridiculous. Right. He was against them before he was for them. We're here with uh, Matt Katz and Tom Moran. And uh, Tom, you wrote a piece this week uh, in the Star-Ledger on New Jersey's Election Law Enforcement Commission and what Governor Christie has done to weaken the commission. 
It's a, a fascinating story. It's not the kind of story that, that I imagine getting a lot of play during a presidential campaign season. Can you run us through the details? Uh, what's going on with the Election Commission? The first character in this is Joe DiVincenzo, who is the Essex County executive and a big Democrat, and has been Christie's biggest ally from the beginning. He endorsed Christie. These two are real buddies, and it was the core of Christie's claim, along with his friendship with George Norcross, the Democratic boss in the South, and Joe D. That was the core of his coalition, that he did all that good stuff in the first few years, the pension and health reform, tax cap, and all that. So that's your political setting. Christie needs Joe D. to make it all work. So Joe D. it turned out, we did a story in 2012, was spending campaign funds on personal items. He ran up a credit card bill that he charged to his campaign of $250,000 over a decade. We're talking about expensive dinners with people he won't name. Uh, tickets to the U.S. Open, most egregiously flying to luxury hotel in Puerto Rico to have political meetings, supposedly, with his uh, pals, uh, gym membership, all this stuff. So ELEC, this Election Law Enforcement Commission, filed a complaint against him. That could get him in real trouble. He could have to pay big fines and he would be politically ruined. So ELEC has four commissioners. A judge ruled last week that at least one Democrat of those four has to vote for the charges because it can't be one party. That's a disputed point. But according to this judge, one party cannot convict someone or or, uh, find someone guilty of any kind of campaign violation. So if there's no Democrat to say Joe D. did something wrong here, then he's off scot-free. So there are two Democratic seats and two Republican seats. One of the Democratic seats is empty and has been for five years. And Christie hasn't appointed a replacement for that person. So I called Kevin Roberts, his spokesman, and said, why hasn't he done it? He said, well, the Senate keeps, you know, blocking all our nominations. But in this case, I called Nick Scuteri, who screens these nominations, and said they never presented a name for us to reject on this. So the governor's left one of those two seats vacants for five years. The other seat is held by a buddy of Joe D's, too. His name is Walter Timpone. He's an attorney. And Timpone has recused himself from this case because he once asked Joe D. to hire his nephew. And Joe D. did hire his nephew. So Joe could get off scot-free on this because one of the Democratic seats is held by his buddy, Walter Timpone, and Christie's leaving the other one vacant. So there's no Democrat to convict. If the judge's interpretation of the law holds up, he goes scot-free for having spent all this campaign money. Does this fit in with a pattern of of Governor Christie politicizing the functions of government to, to serve his interests or his ambitions? Certainly he's used appointments as, uh, as a political tool. And certainly, you know, that's the nature of government. You have these appointments that a, a governor, a chief executive, a president uh, can make. And then, you know, they're used to return favors, take care of people. But it seems to have taken uh, a new form in this administration. He's been accused of using appointments to the Pinelands Commission and the Highlands Council, for example, which have traditionally been made up of preservationists and and are in charge of protecting the Pinelands and Highlands regions, which are protected areas, and making political appointments instead of uh, appointments that are based on politics. And these political appointments are for people who are allies and others who might favor industry over uh, the environment. The Government Records Council, which is a particular pet peeve of mine, this is the entity that adjudicates all uh, complaints for public records requests. If I file a public records request and he denies it, which he often does, you could take it to the Government Records Council, which 
the last time I checked, had always ruled in favor of the administration. It has also never had a full complement of members. The governor just hasn't bothered making appointments. And what that does is really kind of ensure that it's working well for him so far. You know, they're uh, supporting his his blocking of public information. And we've certainly heard a lot about his appointments at the Port Authority. But uh, talking about the way Governor Christie has handled appointments, Tom Moran, is this markedly different from the behavior of uh, past governors? Has Christie taken this to a new level? I think he has. The um, I would say you've got to cut out a governor a certain you know, freedom to appoint people he agrees with. But, yeah, I think this elect case, I think the Port Authority— the Highlands Commission that Matt referred to is charged with protecting the northern reaches of the state. And he's appointed several members who say, we think the Highland Act should be repealed. So <laughs> their enforcement of the rules to guard against development is in question. So, yeah, he's a little more um, uh, bold and you might even call it shameless in the case of ELEC. If Joe D. gets away with this kind of spending, I mean, this is... Is that going to be just where this story ends? There's no other recourse? Surely there's there's got to be some kind of... Uh... A reaction to this. Oh, wait, there was big reaction from the Democrats. Here it, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> that was a joke. All right. There's, you know, th- this is like, this is like pretty, you know, damning stuff to most people who are paying attention. And yet there were zero press releases uh, from any, you know, elected Democrat. This is a guy who endorsed the governor for re-election. So he's not exactly a... a a, a true blue liberal, and yet, you know, you're not going to hear any opposition from any Democrats of any significance in the state. And, and this is why, you know, I framed the column, and there are 500 people in New Jersey who run the state in both parties, and they fight during elections, and then the whistle blows, and they're all with each other. And this is all like, hey, we all have an interest in not making too many waves about the scratch we pull out of this system. This is a classic case of that, and it's really appalling. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. And uh, Matt and Tom, you guys are are having a discussion this week at uh, Rutgers in in front of an audience. Tell us about this event. Well, the excitement is building. There are a lot of fans. They've been knocking down gates to get in here (laughs) to try to hear Matt and me talk about New Jersey politics, as you know. Actually, all the seats are taken at this point, although some cancellations might make new room, but we're going to live stream it. So it's at 7 o'clock Thursday night if you want to see Matt and me talk more about New Jersey politics. The conversation is moderated by Brian Donahue, who does our videos, who is actually far more uh, intelligent and humorous than either Matt or me. That's true. Again, that's this Thursday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Thanks again. I'm a This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. Cronyism in the New Jersey National Guard. Widespread discontent among the ranks. Charges of racism. It's a story the Star-Ledger broke back in March, and it's the subject of an in-depth investigation by the Washington Post this week. Among the revelations in the reporting, the tidbit that Christie has given the overweight head of the New Jersey National Guard 90 days to slim down and, quote, meet his obligations. We're joined now by Washington Post reporter Craig Whitlock. Welcome. Thank you. Craig, in your report, uh, you say the New Jersey National Guard has become dysfunctional under Christie. Several high-ranking officers have filed whistleblower complaints. What are the charges in those complaints? Well, it is remarkable that there have been a number, several high-ranking officials, a large percentage of the command staff, 
have filed complaints with the Pentagon, with the local inspector general in Trenton, uh, and with Governor Christie's office alleging what they call a toxic command climate. They say it's become dysfunctional at the top. They allege that the top two commanders of the National Guard have hired favorites, have shown racial bias in promotions, uh, and these are allegations, among others, made by the top Hispanic officer in the Guard and the top African-American officer in the Guard, as well as several uh, mid-range minority officers. So it does seem to be a feeling that spread fairly widely in the middle and upper ranks in, in the New Jersey National Guard. How has the governor's office responded to these complaints? Well, it said almost nothing. Governor Christie himself has said nothing uh, for months and declined our request for an interview, despite uh, you know repeated entreaties on my part. Uh, and even in statements, it's his office, his press office has said very little. It's said that it's welcomed an independent investigation by a former deputy U.S. attorney in New Jersey who once worked for Christie. That investigation is ongoing. Christie's office did say, did respond to our report about Brigadier General Michael Kniff, the adjutant general in New Jersey, and his physical fitness issues that he was reprimanded by the Pentagon last year. We informed Christie's staff about this reprimand from the Pentagon and asked him if he had ever heard about it. Uh, The staff of the governor said he had not been aware of this, and as a result of our reporting, ordered General Kniff to uh, slim down and, as you pointed out, meet his obligations, meaning he had to pass a physical fitness test from the military sometime in the next 90 days. So we'll see if, if that comes to pass or not. I admit it. You know, among all of the post-debate headlines this week, I was not expecting to read that Governor Christie has given uh, the commander of the Guard 90 days to slim down. The context of all our reporting on this subject is Christie, after all, is running to become the nation's commander-in-chief. So it's certainly uh, legitimate to scrutinize his record as the commander-in-chief of the National Guard in New Jersey. And, you know, what that shows is there have been uh, a lot of problems under his watch. Is this an example of an aspect of governing New Jersey that is falling by the wayside because of the fact that Governor Christie is running for president? Well, that's a fair question. And one thing I found in interviewing a number of senior officers in the National Guard is that, you know, they said they had tried alerting Christie's staff on numerous occasions dating back to last year about this toxic atmosphere that they say has pervaded the the very senior command ranks and problems with the top two generals. Uh, And they said they just never would hear back from the governor. One, you know, they shared with me copies of letters that they delivered, sometimes directly to the governor's office. Sometimes they enlisted other lawmakers to act as a go-between. The governor's staff told me they only had record of receiving one or two of the complaints uh, earlier this year. But, you know, it does raise a question of why wasn't he aware of this and or was he ignoring these complaints that were being posted on his doorstep? Mutiny is the word that you chose to describe what's going on in the New Jersey National Guard. Your headline for this piece is Chris Christie's militia flab and cronyism trigger mutiny in the ranks. Is it to that level open rebellion? Well, it is open rebellion. And and you're right. Governor Christie's staff uh, was not very happy with our headline. They didn't like our description of it as a mutiny. But I've covered the military at a national level for several years for The Washington Post. And I've never seen an instance where you have 
such a high percentage of the command staff, not not just low-ranking officers or enlisted uh, folks making these kind of complaints, but you know we're talking about a large percentage of the senior command staff filing complaints, putting their names to it with the inspector generals in the Pentagon, with the governor's office, and, and really in public, saying that the top two leaders, General Kniff and his, his former deputy uh, Army Brigadier General Grant, uh, were unfit to lead and were responsible for this. So when you have that many senior commanders, including the state chaplain of all people, uh, filing these complaints, that's a pretty serious matter, and I think it is fair to describe that as a mutiny. And General Kniff was uh, someone that uh, the governor appointed to this position. Exactly. He's a hand-picked member, not just the adjutant general of the New Jersey National Guard, but he's a member of the governor's cabinet. So this is somebody the governor put in place and is supposed to report what's going on to the governor. So General Kniff also has had very little say about all these problems. He's been silent. He de- declined to uh, respond to our interview request. So it's not just the governor who's being quiet here. It's, it's the leadership of the Guard. What happens next? Well, there are a few investigations still pending. There's one that's being done, an equal opportunity or bias investigation being conducted uh, by Matthew Boxer, who who worked under Christie at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey, uh, had been state comptroller. He's conducting an investigation that probably be wrapped up sometime this fall. In addition, the Department of the Army Inspector General from the Pentagon is conducting a broader investigation into uh, what's alleged to be a toxic command climate. So those results will be closely scrutinized as well. And then we'll see what the governor does, if anything, in response to these investigations and their findings. Craig Whitlock, reporter for The Washington Post, thanks very much for joining us. Sure thing. Glad to do it. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z, or Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. And to finish today, thanks to the Star Ledger's Paul Mulshine for letting us all know about this. Apparently, Christy is an ex-governor. Here he is during the debate talking about his job in the past tense. Look at what we've done in New Jersey. Um, We've already reached our clean air goals for 2020, and when I was governor, I pulled out of the regional cap-and-trade deal, the only state in the Northeast that did that.